when you have a conversation with with someone who could be lending you money, what might reassure them or help them is if you give them a resource that might tick off a few questions they might have, but be afraid to ask. Welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast for anyone who wants to raise other people's money for a business or property venture. Right now, there has never been more money on the planet and there has never been more opportunity. This podcast will help you put the two together. So, if you need money for your business or property proposals from banks, lenders, angels, whales or dragons, this is the podcast for you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast. I am Ray McLennan. And it's with me, Nigel T. Best. Raymondo, how are you? Yes, Started Nigel. off with your Spanish clap. There, <laughs> I always always enjoy that. It makes me chuckle. It's um, for the sound man. The yeah. spike for the sound man. That's knows, it. When, knows when to start the recording. <laughs> <laughs> how are you? Yeah, interesting week. Been a good week. All um, right. Yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, presentation on Friday, and we have a, another deal funded, so that's quite good. Excellent. Well, it's in motion to be funded. It's agreed to be funded. It's now progressing through the next parts, which is heads of terms. Um, Ooh, well, we're going to do an episode about that, aren't we? We are very soon on the podcast heads of terms, just to uh, help people on that one. I think I think it'll be a really useful one for people. Uh, yeah, uh, there is some. Um, confusion sometimes over heads of terms but what's today's topic Ray? Today's topic well we are going to talk about um, I suppose when you're when you're lending money when you're analyzing a deal or you've or someone is looking for investment either into a business or into a property uh, there's a few things that you as a potential lender ought to think about and this is also good for people that are looking to borrow money so they can find out what lenders are what lenders want. Yeah, I mean, just before we hit record, I was, I was kind of saying, you know, you know what? Sometimes, uh, right at the beginning, we say to people, uh, friends and family can be a good source of getting, you know, a bit of funding to begin with. If if you're a bit nervous about going out to big corporate institutions and everything, you know, sounding very very scary very quickly. And sometimes a lot of people have um, un- unknown amounts of wealth within their uh, immediate network of friends and family and it was it was one of these things that when you have a conversation with with someone who could be lending you money what might reassure them or help them is if you give them a resource that might tick off a few questions they might have but be afraid to ask mm. uh, so it, especially mm. family they'll take you almost on blind faith they'll either say absolutely not or they'll sort of say yes because they love you, not because they think it's a sensible thing to do necessarily. And, and this might just help preserve in the long term your relationship with them. <laughs> who knows? Because who knows what might happen in the future with these things. Mm-hmm. But it also might just give them some reassurance and some boundaries for that lending uh, because sometimes it can be just a bit woolly, a bit vague. And, um, you know, they may well love you. And they may well do it, but they may well not be very keen to do it. But they'd never tell you. So we just thought maybe this little list could help you answer the questions that they've probably got in their head for them. Um, and, and it'd be almost like, wow, you read my mind. You read my mm-hmm. mind. That's exactly what I was wondering. 
So we've got a list. How long is the list, Ray? Uh, well, there are eight, I've got eight points on the list. Um, there'll probably be a few more to add in. So by the time the podcast is complete, we'll have the list in the notes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I added a few in. Yeah. So we're, we're, I think I put another three on there. So we're right. already 11. <clears throat> we'll keep it, folks, if you're listening to the podcast, we'll keep it to under 100. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. that's it. <laughs> okay, Dike, are you going to kick off? All right. Okay. Well, I mean, the first thing I suppose is uh, if you have loaned money before, that's fine. You'll you'll understand, or perhaps we'll understand the process. Um, if you haven't let, loaned any money before and you're in a position now, which a lot of people are, because after this last year, there's a lot of people that have. Uh, I wouldn't say they've not come into money, but they haven't spent as much, and therefore money is building up, and money in the savings account for people is building up. And that's uh, private individuals, but also companies. Remember, companies can lend money as well. So uh, we've had uh, some approaches, a few, from companies who have money in the bank. It's sitting there. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not earning anything. It used to be back in the day when interest rates were reasonably high, uh, that companies would move their money uh, from current accounts into, you know, interest, interest-bearing accounts overnight, there are a lot of companies that did that. The big cash companies, sort of, you know, I'm thinking about uh, bookies, that sort of thing, who take a lot of money over the over uh, the weekend and they they deposit that into uh, in higher interest paying accounts, or they used to. So there are a lot of companies out there with money and a lot of individuals out there with money. So it might be that you as a lender are are considering it and saying, well, actually, you know, I'm sitting there, I've got 50, 60, 100,000, something like that sitting there in the bank. It's not earning it. It's earning the square root of nothing. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure about where to invest it. Uh, where can I get a return? And there are companies out there that need to borrow that money. There are individuals out there that, that want to borrow that money for property developments, that sort of thing. So it could be that you meet one of those people uh, or you're introduced or you have been following someone on social media and you think, actually, I quite like what they're doing. I like the results they're posting. Um, I'd like to get a bit of that. So uh, if you are in that position, then there are some things. We've got a list here of some things you need to consider. So that's what we're going to talk about now. So first item is uh, the person or company that you are looking to invest or lend uh, money to do they actually know what they're doing? Do they know what they're doing? Now, a lot of people doing property training courses and are advised on that property training course to use other people's money. Well, that's fine. Uh, but would you want someone who's doing their first deal? Would you want someone who's literally just come off a course and, and looking for money for their first deal? Well, I suppose the answer is yes and no. Because you want to know if they actually know what they're doing. Do they have anyone behind them? Have they, are they part of a mastermind group? Are they being constantly trained? Is it just a small light refurb? Is it just money that they need for um, furniture or something like that? You know, so it doesn't have to be huge developments. It can be something small. But do they know what they're doing? That's the main thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. Because to be honest, you know, a lot of people do undersell when they go on a training course. And they come out and they say, right, OK, I'm going to get into this. I'm going to raise uh, other people's money for this property investment. You might think there isn't a chance of anyone doing that. Why would anyone lend to that person? And what you, you then find out is, well, actually, they, they trained as an architect's technician. So they didn't get to do the whole thing, but they did some of it. They then became uh, 
a quantity surveyor. They've then worked on building sites, construction sites. They've then been working with uh, doing refurbs for years and had never seen the kind of investor do-it-yourself side of things, done the training, turned around and you go, holy moly, this person is very investable. Mm. Um, you know, so it can happen. Someone who doesn't have those skills, but as you say, Ray, um, you know, might be plugged into a support network um, and being mentored and, and helped through, they may have an awful lot of time available. So a lot of these things do take time and they might be a, a really good person who is, who is great at um, organizing teams. So they might have had a background in organizing projects, delivering projects, um, understanding how things are laid out, structured. So you can, folks, you can you know, invest in someone who is relatively new to the game by looking at the other skills that they bring, <clears throat> excuse me, to the table. And it, it's one of those things, you know, do they know, know what they're doing? Well, you know, it, it's chicken and egg, isn't it, when they haven't got any experience? Mm. But do they know what they're doing? Well, they've got some very transferable skills where they can take a, an idea and they can map it out, plan it out, project it out, and then control the project and deliver on the project. So there are a lot of people with a lot of those skills uh, that can do it. They've just not done it in property. But number one, do they know what they're doing? There's lots of things encompassed in that. Do they know what they're doing? Um, it doesn't mean that they are a, a national house builder, and that is the only person that you'd, <laughs> you'd invest in. Um, because that surely is the only person that knows what they're doing. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, so I'm looking at the list here, and I just thought you've kind of jumped ahead there because uh, what other skills they possess was number three on the list. But um, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get well, to yeah. that. I mean, some of these we'll keep crossing over, but we wanted yeah. to wanted to um, come up with this list so that you can go back and tick them off. That's it. Um, and the conversation does sometimes. Uh, flow and cover several of them but that's number one do they know what they're doing uh, and it's to me do they know what they're doing is do they know how to organize plan and and, and be systematic can they follow a system you know mm. are they are they people that can deliver on a project it doesn't matter necessarily what the project was but are they those right sort of people or are they you know, just clear scatterbrains and all the rest of it. So there you go. Number one, that's number one. Number two, Ray? Have they done this before? Now, um, what I'm talking about is have they done it before? Have they borrowed money before? Have they done a project before? So they, they might know what they're doing and they might have done it, but they might not have done it using other people's money. So have they done it before where they borrowed other people's money? Because there's a difference between using your own money and using somebody else's money. Um, there are certain there are more obligations there. They, you, you know, you have to take care of other people's money. Uh, you can't, uh, you know, you have to use it for the purpose that it's been uh, agreed. So if you're borrowing money to renovate a property, you borrow money to renovate that property. If you're, if you're borrowing money to, um, I suppose, do marketing for your company or to grow it in some way, then that's what you use the money for. That's what you would use the money for. So have they done this before? Most people will have borrowed money before. Everybody has a first time, you know, everyone's got to have a first time. But uh, if they've ever borrowed money from a bank, if they've ever borrowed money from somewhere else uh, or credit cards, that sort of thing, they will also then have a credit score. Now, as a 
as an investor, you want to ask for that. If you can see their credit score, they should be able to give you their credit score. Um, it's, it's just simply a matter of going online. Some, some cases you pay, some cases you don't, and then just printing it off. Simple as that. But have they done it before? So do they understand what is behind borrowing? Do they understand what is behind repaying? Do they understand what is uh, the terms of a contract? All that sort of carry on. That's what I meant by have they done this before? Yeah, and, and just to add to that, um, some people will, you know, if you say, okay, what do you want the money for? Well, I'd like to take this um, this house and do a, a refurb, add an extension and do that. And, and if you're sort of saying, well, have you done that before? They may well turn around and say, well, no, I haven't done that specific thing before. And, and for some people that rules them out. Uh, mm. But you, you should think, well, hang on, hang on, what have you done? And there could be other things that they've done that, um, you know, well, I've, uh, I've stripped out a, a flat and, uh, you know, rewired, uh, plastered, sorted it all out, decorated it and, and sold it on. So, OK, it's not precisely what you're asking to borrow the money for, but there is something similar or, or potentially uh, transferable again. So it's making sure um, if you're about to lend some money, you ask around the subject, you know, do they have, you know, have they done anything similar? Uh, and, and don't just narrow it down. Try and, try and broaden this to, to, to get a good... Yeah. It's, all about, it's all about minimising risk. You know, the, yeah. the risk for you as a lender is diminished if, if they know what they're doing and they've done it before. It, it really is, is the gist behind it. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that you cannot lend to someone who's doing something for the first time. Um, you know, if it's a light refurb, it's fairly straightforward, but also as a lender, what security have you got against it? We always talk about the crest model. You know, the, we talk about, do they know what they're doing? Have they done it before? That's really the credibility part, isn't it? And then um, the R, which is the return, then the exit, and then S is the security. So the credibility gives you more security. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Number three, Ray, we've got down here. What other skills do they possess? Yeah, and that's something you touched on earlier on about, I mean, we have been approached by people who have got into property development or are starting a business and uh, the business is sort of re revolving around something that they haven't actually done before, but they've got complementary skills. So last week I was talking to a couple of guys, I spoke to the first guy um, before I met his business partner and he sort of admitted, well, I've never really been involved in property development before, but I've got a bit of money. I've raised some money from family and friends. And I said, well, how are you getting this project done then? He went, oh, my business partner. And then he introduced me to the business partner. And they, the reason they got involved with each other is they had complementary skills. One was very good at administration. One was very good at organization. And the other one was the one that knew how to do the development, how to deal with the tradesmen, um, how to analyze the quantities of air sheet, that sort of thing. So they had complementary skills. So what other skills they possess can mean what other skills do their team of people or their business partner possess as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just, right. let me just check this because the sound thing keeps jumping around to other things. Can you still hear me there? Oh, that's better. I can hear that's you, but there was a change in the sound. Yeah. yeah, that's better. Yeah, that's better. Okay. Um, yeah, so it, it's definitely what other skills do they possess, uh, Ray, very important. However, 
don't ignore the thing as to uh, whether they have time. Um, time is a very important thing. So if you've got problems or the ability to be on site or deal with people, answer the phone and all the rest of it, that can be really important. So one of the questions I would always ask is, okay, what else have you got going on in your life um, that could distract you from mm -hmm. being able to run this project um, if I'm going to invest in you? So I would always say, check out what else they've got going on and see if they've got the ability to uh, to dedicate enough time to this. Yeah, absolutely. Number, okay, number, number four, four is, uh, is, there, is there a team of people? Um, uh, lending to one person can be risky. So is there a team of people? One of the things we used to always do in, uh, in Angel's Den and, and when I previously worked in a law firm when we were looking at uh, companies that were looking for investment, you've got to be, be very careful of the company that, uh, has one person and everything revolves around them. You know, it's all in their head. Uh, haven't delegated anything um, because anything happens to that one person and that, that's the end of the business. So you ideally want a team. You want to be lending to a company rather than a private individual. And that company needs to have people with uh, the skills necessary to, to do whatever it is they say that they're going to do. So uh, the idea of a, a team going forward is is, is Good in the sense that uh, you know you've got someone that can that can back up. You've got someone that's there if someone drops out. So the better the team, the better the risk. Yeah, and added to that, Ray, you mentioned earlier people that uh, have done property training, uh, and they come out and they, and they feel that they don't really have a team as such when they're asking people to invest in them. Some people uh, carry on and they do mentoring, coaching. They've they've tapped into a network where they can go back uh, and do that. So it, it doesn't hurt to say, look, I'm in, a, um, I'm in a VIP group. I'm in a mentoring group. I'm being coached. I've got these people here who are experienced, who I've got access to, uh, that I can draw on their knowledge uh, as well as their contacts. So uh, whilst I might be relatively new to this, uh, I'm, I'm working very closely uh, with a number of people who are highly experienced in this area so again just something to reassure someone um because they're probably thinking you know ray the the question is should i lend to an individual or should i lend to a a corporate structure your quick comment on that would be corporate structure um, corporate structure yeah i mean the individual can create a company quite easily and the the uh, and the company then has certain fiduciary duties to produce accounts that sort of thing management accounts you can you know you ask for all of those things um but yeah, lending to a company is better. Yep. Okay. Uh, number five, heads of terms. Yeah, uh, heads of terms. <laughs> yeah, heads of terms need to be agreed around the deal or property. Now we're going to go into this in greater depth, but just uh, very quickly, uh, what are heads of terms, Ray? Well, heads of terms is really, I mean, also can be called the memorandum of understanding. Uh, just you know a list of getting together and saying right if i'm going to if i'm going to borrow money from you what am i borrowing the money for what am i going to do with it when am i going to do this who's going to be involved uh etc you know, just cover all the bases really now heads of terms if a deal is slightly more complicated um i'm going to say complicated it doesn't have to be complicated by an amount of money but it could be you know it's it's it's, it's not a refurb let's say it's um a new build something like that then there's, there's 
tons of things to cover and a checklist might be 50 items long, something like that. So uh, you as the lender need to understand exactly where the money's going, what it's going to be used for, how you're going to be told of progress, when you're going to get the money back. Heads of terms will also cover things like uh, you know the, the interest rate, the, the reward that you're going to get. It will cover the security. It will also cover uh, what happens if things go wrong. You know, you have to make allowances. I mean, look at this last year, for example. Nobody, nobody saw this coming. I mean, talk about a black swan event. This was a flock of black swans. Um, and as you know, very, very, very few people saw this coming. There are very few business plans, I bet you, that had something like this in for the length of time that it was in. And it forced uh, a lot of people to, to go back to contracts to look. But then also what happened, interestingly, because um, heads of terms will, will say, you know, what happens if something goes wrong? Usually that something going wrong is that uh, the developer has failed to complete on time or the planning has been changed or there's been some kind of legal, uh, some rule change or something like that. But it's very, very rare that you would see uh, a lockdown the way that we've seen it. So what a lot of uh, people that I know looked at the contracts and they saw, um, you know, force mayor and all that sort of carry on. Uh, but this was really, a lot of contracts were really frustrated. They were frustrated by events. You know, the, the frustration of contract, it, neither, you know, neither side could fulfill. So if you're a lender and you've loaned to somebody, is it fair that, uh, that lockdown triggers penalty interest, for example? Is it fair that lockdown triggers an immediate repayment, for example, when, when the developer or the person borrowing cannot repay because they're, you know, the circumstances? So there's an element of common sense has to come in there. I mean, the law can only do so much. And it's quite interesting that out of about out of about 15 contracts that we were involved in, that is getting money for people or personally, we've had we've only had two that have gone to what I would call saber rattling. Hasn't even gone to to, to court. Can't go to court really. There's nothing you know. It, it's if you have a bit of money, do you just give it to lawyers to try and figure it out, or do you try and figure it out yourself? Um, one of them is going to arbitration because they agreed after lots of saber rattling on both sides they would go to arbitration, and the other one, um, the lender eventually, uh, I'm not going to use the word capitulated or gave in, but eventually saw sense um, because there were a number of investors involved in the deal. Uh, the, the heads of terms and the contract uh, basically just you know, had the usual force majeure clause in there, which which one of them was trying to hang their hat on. Uh, and say, uh, well, he wasn't trying to hang his hat on, he was trying to not hang his hat on, he was trying to do the opposite. Um, and the other investors all saw common sense and went, well, look, no one saw this coming. You know, our money's still there, it's still in the project, it's been delayed. So they just decided to hibernate, hibernate the agreement. So if, if the agreement was due to end on the, let's say, 31st of March 2021, they just simply said, look, let's just act as if the last 12 months never happened. And then project forward 12 months. So there was no penalty interest or anything like that. I mean, everyone had to take a bit of a hit, I suppose. So imagine a lender, he's put money in, put 100,000 in, due to get 110 back or something like that. We'll still get that back, but it's just been delayed. Simple as that. That was, that was the attitude that most people took, including some well-established lenders. So not talking about private individuals, but also you know some of the challenger banks and others did the same thing.
No, they're not obviously not openly admitting it because their job is to saber rattle and try and get all their money in and shout and scream. And if they have a hundred clients, maybe 20 of them will pay them, will, will get the money from somewhere. Um, but the others just couldn't. So they just simply had to uh, agree to, to hibernate and then move on. So no, heads it, of terms, no, sorry, sorry, Nigel, heads of terms is uh, like a memorandum of understanding. And that is something that you, you can do in conjunction with your lawyer. So if you're going to do heads of terms, draft up or, or, or draft out as much as you possibly can, write down as many anomalies or challenges you can think of, and then share it with your solicitor. Because the solicitor needs to draft the formal loan document. Now, you can use a, what's called a boilerplate document, which is pretty straightforward, um, or in, uh, uh, incorporate the heads of terms and include that in. So it, it is a good idea to involve a lawyer at heads of terms because it will actually save you a lot of money when it comes to doing the contract. Now, that, that sounds as if it shouldn't work. You know, you sort of think to yourself, well, if I'm going to get a lawyer involved and I've got to get him involved twice, you know, mm. but surprisingly, if you get a lawyer involved at the heads of terms stage and then they get involved in the contract, it makes it much easier. So the contract is done quicker and you're more likely to get a document that codifies what it is that you want and what they want. Yeah. I mean, just for me, uh, heads of terms, if you can imagine terms and condition is the fine print and it goes into infinite detail when you get down to the contract level, uh, the heads, think of the header of each paragraph and it's very much a quick snapshot. So if somebody often, they, you know, I've, the ones uh, I've done a, a, a page uh, or, or two, uh, there's mm -hmm. not much to it. And it's one of these snapshots that if you handed that across to someone, they could get a very good idea very quickly as to what's, what's going on between these two parties. And, uh, and, and, and that's all you need to do at this point. Um, we're going to be talking about heads of terms, though, and some of the confusion, some of the problems and some of the issues that arise from them. Uh, in another podcast episode. So look out for that. I know, Ray, hey, we're heading rapidly towards our 100th podcast, um, mm -hmm. which is uh, quite incredible. Um, to all those naysayers out there that said they won't get past 10, well, yeah, boo sucks to you. Uh, we have. Uh, and to all those people that have listened to getting on for 100 episodes, well, you know, we can, we can seek some medical advice for you to, uh, to help you through the trauma um, on that one. But no, we've got, we've got to thank, thank everyone for that. But we're in the middle of this. Um, we're coming back with number six. You just touched on it there, right? Formal loan document needs to be done. So again, this is, uh, if you can imagine when you're doing this, first of all, and you're doing this maybe with friends and family, they might be thinking, oh, crikey. Uh, in, in their heads, they might be going, well, I, yes, all right, I love you. I'll lend you the money. Um, but I, I don't know whether we should be writing this down. And people always think, should I write things down? Uh, but they might be too, too polite, too loving, too generous, too kind, too naive to um, uh, actually say, I think we should write this down. So I would always say, suggest that you write this down. Uh, to the uh, to, you know to the person that's going to lend the money and take that worry away from them. But right, formal loan document. It's uh, whenever you put formal in there, it sounds very onerous. But these can yeah, be yeah. No, well, 
Yeah, they can be quite simple, but um, uh, you know, a formal loan document is formalized by uh, you know signing it that you both know what you're doing and you both agree, and then you sign it, and it may or may not be witnessed, um, depending on which part of the country you're in, how many witnesses you need. But um, yeah, formal loan document, that bit of paper that just simply says, "I hereby agree to do this, and you hereby agree to do that, and here's the following, yada yada yada." And you have essentially everything is is in there. So uh, you know, for example, you you want to identify so something along those lines. You want to know who the borrower is. So who's the borrower? Is it ABC Limited? Is it John Smith Limited? Who's the borrower? Uh, what's the amount? What is what's it for? Um, so the purpose. What's it for? Um, what about the interest rate uh, maturity? When when is it due? What about repayments? Is it to be repaid monthly? Is it to be repaid quarterly? Is it to be repaid at the end? Um, is there a fee for doing that? What are the fees? Who's paying the legal fees? What's the security? Is there a guarantor? Are you giving a guarantee? Events of default? What's happening? You know, what happens if you if you default? Um, other formal things such as do you want a formal valuation? Uh, is there going to be quantitative surveyors involved? Is there going to be a? Um, I'm just trying to think. You know, who, who's the, who's the lawyers? You might want to name who the lawyers are, and then additional information. And then you might have an expiry date on your uh, offer. So you know, you might say, well, I have this money; it's available. Um, you know, it needs to be taken up by the 31st of May, or or that, or or it's gone. That sort of thing. So those are the sort of things that will all be covered by the heads of terms. And then they just get translated in a little bit more detail into the formal document so that everybody understands it. Um, I've seen some at two pages and I've seen some at 200 pages. And at the end of the day, um, whether it's two pages or 200 pages long, as long as everyone agrees and understands and it is legal, you know, it's been done properly, then uh, then that, that's what you need to have. Now, some people might get a bit concerned and say, oh, legal fees, is one of my lawyers going to run off with legal fees? Well, the borrower would pay the legal fees. So what we usually encourage is that uh, we have formal loan documentation that has been stress tested. It's gone round the block because lots of investors have used it. It is um, longish. It's 28 pages. But a lot of that is definitions. So uh, the, the, the pretty, pretty much the main, the main stuff is covered um, in the first few pages and the rest of it's all definitions and what ifs and, and acts of default and all that sort of carry on. Um, and then there's a few things at the end that say that it's uh, you know, governed by the laws of England and Wales and all that kind of carry on. So uh, once all that is done, then it, you, know, you can send it to, as a lender, you can send it to your solicitor and have him review it or just give his opinion that it is legally robust, not necessarily to change anything, but just say, yes, it's legally robust. And if you are lending the money and uh, for this amount, then that's correct. And if you're going to get it back on that date, that's correct. And if it all goes wrong, that I see what's going to happen. Yes, you, know, you, can, you can sign it. So what we would encourage then is the lender to get his, his or her lawyer to look at it and the borrower pays the fees up to a maximum of 500 pounds because that's all it needs. It just needs a lawyer to spend a couple of hours um, going over it. Now, why? I've heard some people say, well, why? Why do I have to pay 500 pounds for something that a lawyer is going to take one hour to take a look at? Well, actually, what you're paying for is that lawyer's PI cover. Is, uh, you know, he, he has to have certain insurance covers. So when the lawyer gives you an opinion, 
and they give you it in writing, uh, that, that's backed up by the firm's cover. So it's not just his time. A lot of people forget that. I think, well, a lawyer is only a couple hundred pounds an hour. Why am I paying 500 pounds when he's only taking an hour? Because it's his opinion. He's got to look at it, study it, and then give it to you in writing and say, yeah, dear Mr. Smith, yes, I think this is legally robust. That's what you're paying for. Because if anything then goes wrong, you've got a recall against your solicitor saying, well, he, you know, he advised me to do it. And there was a clause in there that was uh, what's called a lifeboat that I didn't notice, that wasn't noticed, and the borrower gets off the hook. Yeah, and, and professional indemnity insurance, if, uh, if people are sort of wondering, this is, this is to cover you because in your profession, you are giving advice. And as a result of that advice, people took certain actions. They did or didn't do something as a result of your advice. Um, this then covers you in case that advice maybe wasn't quite right or there was a mistake that you made in there. That's what it's, it's trying to protect you from because the, the last thing you want is... Um, uh, you know, you get some advice and then the person turns around and says, well, it was only my opinion. That was all I, I thought. So you're on your own sort of thing. And, and you know, people make mistakes, but behind that sits a, a level of protection for you in case something does happen there. And that's a, a good point there about the PI on that. So that was kind of covered in there was uh, number six, the formal loan document needs to be done. Yep. Number seven, you kind of touched on both sides need legal advice, but here's the key thing. It's the borrower who typically pays the lender's advice, legal advice as well. So if you're the borrower, you're going to be, um, yeah, but, but you know, subject wanting to, do, to, yeah, you've got subject, to put a cap on it. You've got to put yes. a cap on it. So you've got, if, you've so got to put example, it, go on. If someone, if, <laughs> if someone is lending 50,000 pounds and obviously the legal costs are 500, then, then obviously that gets deducted at source. So it'll be 49,500 gets passed over. That's that's how it would work. Yeah, and unless you agreed something different. Uh, but but what you're trying to do there is uh, there's two things. If, if you are uh, the person that's going to borrow, um, one of the things that you need to be careful about is often the person says, oh, well, I'd like to use my family lawyer. We've had him for 112 years. He's a wonderful chap. Um, unfortunately, you know, some firms of solicitors do and don't deal with certain things. Mm. Um, they should all deal with something simple like this, but you never know. And I, I have dealt with firms of solicitors whereby they pull back um, and come out with a list of these questions. I've even used some. And the, um, the other side's legal firms, the managing partner actually phoned the broker and said, if you... <laughs> You don't tell that client to get a solicitor who knows what the hell he's doing. He said, we are not pulling, we are pulling out of this and we're not doing any of it. And that was on behalf of the bank. And we just went, why, what questions was our solicitor asking? And he read out some of the questions and I just put my head in my hands and just went, oh no, oh no, he didn't. Oh no, he didn't. He didn't ask that, did he? And sometimes these guys, you know, they're learning this particular part of the law again for the first time, maybe in 20 years. Yeah. And they're asking all these questions that, um, quite frankly, didn't need asking. He was racking up legal costs and we're paying for both sides mm -hmm. um, on this. And um, it was just a disaster. So what I would say is get a firm of solicitors who know what they're doing with this and then ask them, could you recommend someone who you know can deal with this in a, you know, 
expedite it at a reasonable and fair amount, time, et cetera, et cetera. And they almost certainly, Ray, won't they? They'll recommend a few firms so that when you're going back to the person that could be lending you money, say, look, uh, my solicitor recommends you use one of these. They're very quick, uh, very professional, um, and uh, understand this situation, what the loan is about. It should be much quicker, much smoother, and all the rest of it than using your person who's only ever done house conveyancing or something like that. Uh, so there's just a, a top tip to uh, to do it. Uh, because mm-hmm. often, rate you know, the people that they recommend, there is no, there's no collusion. There's no backhanders in here. It's just people whose offices they deal with on a regular basis. So they know the people that work there. They can pick up the phone, can't they? And just have a chat and say, I'm just sending you this one. It's um, just like XYZ the other day. Give it a quick look and let's turn this around in in four days sort of thing. And, you know, that sort of relationship can, you know, save an awful lot of frustration, time and money uh, for doing that. In fact, we've had in the last couple of months, we've had three occasions I can think of where um, the sort of the legal things have been caught up in in law you know emails have been flying back and forward and i was getting a bit frustrated and saying where's this going where is this you know what's actually happening and uh, the lawyer would say oh well i'm just waiting on the other lawyer so i said why don't we just have a zoom call let's all get together on a zoom call you know so that's exactly what happened and it got fixed so three weeks of delays got fixed in under an hour uh, as a result of a zoom call because of a flipping slight misunderstanding um and that's happened three times in the last few months so um so yeah, yeah. Lawyers yeah, get, get the, each other. yeah, get two firms that are dealing with this day in day out, and if they're dealing with each other as well, day in day out, it really does make things go quicker. Oh, it makes a massive difference. Massive difference. Yep. In fact, most of the de- legal delays are usually yeah lawyers that have never never dealt with each other before. Um, there is one in particular where we had to get a third lawyer in to act between the law firms because he knew what was going on and he knew what should have happened. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, that, but that worked quite well. That actually worked quite well. I was going to say, the last thing people are, are looking forward to is getting a third set of solicitors involved. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he sped the thing up. And in fact, um, it's something that we might use again, sort of sort of gamekeeper turn poacher type thing or poacher turn gamekeeper. Um, we might use that again. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, do a whole it, podcast. I'll get him on, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that'd be good. Um, because I know a lot of people, uh, when they talk about purchase lease options, you know, commercial leases. Um, so if you're using solicitors that are purely residential and don't do commercial, you know, it can be very, very slow because they are effectively having to go and double check everything that they're doing because it's not what they do on a, a day-to-day basis. And, and they don't want to risk their professional indemnity by giving poor advice. So they're going back and recapping. And that's what you're trying to avoid here, folks. You're trying to do something simple, keep it simple and uh, keep that conversation communication going. So there you go. But Ray, we're coming towards the end of the list. Thank goodness. A lot of people are saying, uh, but this is from the lender's point of view, um, because I know it, it's gone through my head. Uh, if ever I've lent money and it can be a, from a tenner through to whatever figure, you're always thinking, all right, hang on, 
what happens if something so we've got eight nine ten eleven a kind of going to be a mishmash of all all these things but it, it's kind of okay what happens if something goes wrong what happens if they need the money for longer what happens if they need a bit more money than they originally asked for and you know, a very old phrase for a hapathatar, the ship was lost. So you're almost in a position where you, you you feel obliged to lend them a bit more money to get this thing done, or you're never going to get any of it back. So there's that. And what happens if I suddenly need my money back out of this deal? Because something else in my life, it, you know, I've got to pay this or settle this or whatever it is. What happens if I need my money back? So there's just a few things that we're going to chat about here of, of these scenarios where things could go wrong or things might be, you know, change the, the circumstances. Ray, we need to go through these. What do you reckon? What happens if things go wrong? Well, um, things go wrong quite a lot of the time. It depends on what, what is defined by wrong. I mean, um, you know, COVID <laughs> caused a lot of problems. Um, but things going wrong, um, thinking of some money that was loaned for development and the groundwork, the groundwork took a hell of a lot longer because the weather was atrocious. Um, it just dragged on and on and on. And that knocked that act like a set of dominoes knocking everything down because the people that were meant to do the next part and the next part and the next part all couldn't do it because they had other jobs to do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it did uh, go completely tits up in that respect. And uh, it actually got to the point where yet yeah, more money was required. So in that particular one, I, I, I can think of. So uh, if the, what happens if it goes wrong? First thing first is to... Uh, is, is to talk to the lender right away. Let the lender know because the lender will have expectations. If you think, if they think they're getting their money back at the end of May and they're not going to get their money back at the end of May, you know, that, that has a knock-on effect for them. And it's better to give them as much notice as physically possible. Uh, you know, as soon as you know, let them know. So uh, ideally, you know, a couple of months uh, before the term is due. Um, what happens if they need more money? Well, again, that happened with this one. They did need more money. Um, and it just meant that uh, a different, a newer investor was found. We didn't, uh, in this case, go back to the original investor. We went to another investor uh, to bring in the money because it wasn't a huge amount. It was about 50,000. It was needed 54, in fact, for that one I'm thinking of. Now, this is not us. This is us acting on behalf of other people. Um, the, the, the groundwork caused delays which led to a, a requirement for just over £50,000, which was done and things moved on and progressed. So uh, that was overcome. It just, you just have to overcome it because you're right. You can't, you can't just stop. Now, what if uh, they need the money back? Well, again, it's a common occurrence with private investors is uh, things change and they do need money back. You know, we're dealing with not hundreds, but certainly tens of investors who've got money out there at the moment in a variety of schemes. And there's always someone that needs money back, you know? And usually an investor is in their 40s, 50s or 60s. They've got elderly parents. And um, we've had a couple of occasions where money is needed back to pay care home costs. Money has been needed back to renovate their, their parents' property. Um, because of you know some medical accident or or incident, um, so that 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 that's what happens. And if they can, if if the deal can support it, because it all comes down to the deal. If the deal can support it, then we would look to do that. So it's and again, say when things go wrong, it's not always 
the developer who who causes delays and things. Sometimes delays can be caused by the investor. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we had one where um, an investor was putting in £500,000 into a deal, but it was in tranches of 100000 So tranche number one, and then a couple of months later, the next tranche, and a couple of months later, the next tranche. But what actually happened was, I think when the, the third tranche was due, the investor didn't have it. Um, and that caused problems. So what do you do in that instance? Um, you have to kind of think about it. What's the action that you're going to do? Now, it's, it's a rare occurrence, but it does happen if, if it's staged payments like that was. Um, there's also been occasions when investors have been unable to, to, to transfer the money. I can think of um, some SaaS, small self-administered scheme who have SaaS administrators who, who look after the SaaS fund and the, 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 the lender wanted to give the money over, but the SAS fund um, procrastinated and delayed because of paperwork. And uh, that led to someone not being able to complete on a deal. And the knock-on effect from that was, was crazy. So, you know, it's, yeah, things can go wrong, um, but you, you, know, you just have to deal with it. You just have to deal with what's put in front of you. There's nothing more you can do. You could try and think of every single potential incident and try and legislate for it, but you can't. Sometimes you just can't. You just have to get on with it. Use an element of common sense and get on with it. Clear examples there. Look, folks, you, you've got to you've got to be ready for these things. And, and when something goes wrong, the first thing that you're going to do, uh, I would suggest, is, is say, okay, well, you're telling me a problem. Give me the solution. Where do you see the solution being? Because ultimately you're trying to make things right uh, and you, you want this to get to what you agreed at the beginning was going to be the outcome. So you need to go back through. So this is why it can be very important to get all these documents in place because you may have put something in place saying, okay, if something is delayed for weather or you know something goes wrong or you find something you know that, that knocks things back, then that is a point where you have a discussion about it and you, you know, the, the terms could, could maybe stretch or flex to account for it. But that's your primary document that, you, that you're going back to. And it's a bit different when things go wrong that are out of your control compared to if things go wrong. Um, so you've lent the money to someone and instead of them investing in tools, material, supplies and, and making work on, on the property, they've done nothing and the money has just disappeared. And then that's a different matter because mm. you, you might have something in there that says, okay, at 50% um, of the way through the project, it gets signed off by whoever, an architect, a surveyor or somebody. Somebody comes in and, and says, yes, this work has been done and they sign it off at that point. If that hasn't been done, then you could say, well, this has gone wrong. And actually, I think they're taking the money to finish another project somewhere else that they've got into trouble. And this money is never going to get my deal done. Then you need to have the ability to step in and, and wave the contract and say, okay, you, you're not performing on this contract. Uh, that triggers my right uh, under the crest model to have some security and the security is that I can now step in and, um, and, and, you know, act on the property in terms of, all right, that now comes to me, I'm going to sell it and recover my money. 
Um, so the, these are why you, you kind of structure these things, because sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes they are deliberately going wrong because someone is trying to pull a fast one. And, um, you know, and, and sometimes it's just nature. It's just yeah. natural events that happen. But those those things there uh, are why it's important to get your documentation in place. And it's why it's important to get your security. So if you're if you're talking to friends and family, and they're probably not wishing to ask, okay, what happens if something goes wrong? What are you going to do about it? This is where you would preempt that question with the answer of, well, look, I'm going to secure your money against the property. So if I don't do anything that I said I'm going to do, and if things all go wrong, you are entitled to take the property, sell it, and recover your money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that might be enough for people to go, oh, okay. So if, if that's the case, then it's obviously in your best interest to make it work because I'm going to make far more money, you know, selling this property on and getting all my money back. Um, so you want someone to have some skin in the game. You want to, someone to have uh, the same uh, invested interest in this concluding in the right way. So, so there's that. It, in terms of if they need it longer, if they need it longer, if they need more money, or if I need my money back, they are three things that you should consider before or you lend the money. Mm -hmm. And these should be conversations that you should have to say, realistically, you know, buying a brownfield site and building 53 apartments in four months, that, that sounds kind of ambitious to me. Do you not think you might need the money for longer? And, mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can have that conversation, you know, so you need to try and understand timescales and stuff. But I would just say those three things are all saying, do not lend every penny you have for a period that is longer than you can tolerate mm -hmm. on the basis that you will never need to borrow any money at all because everything will be fine in your life. No. You've got to cap your, your your own sort of investing in other people and just lend, you know, what you could afford. It, I wouldn't say it's like gambling because when, when people talk about gambling, they always say, well, you should only ever gamble with money that you can afford to lose. Mm -hmm. um, right. Nobody obviously sticks to that uh, when it comes to gambling, but that's how you should approach it. On this basis, it should be only ever lend what you can afford to forget about for two years. Um, you know, and on that sort of basis and that you don't need to pull on it or draw down on it yourself for a year, two years, you've got to be comfortable with that. Uh, and, and that's the conversation that I would have with the lender saying, look, I don't wish to pry, but the amount I'm asking for, I want to make sure that if, if you didn't see that money for two years, it's not going to cause you any problems. Mm. Um, and therefore if you say, yes, I can lend you 50,000 but you've only got 50,007 pounds in your bank account. Um, you know, I want to know that if that's going to cause a problem because Ray, you know, when the, when an investor, as you say, if they're talking about this and they're saying, yes, I've got 90,000 and I'm going to do it in three 30,000 loans every six months uh, over the, you know, day one, six months in 12 months in uh, I'm going to do that you want to make sure that they are going to do it mm. and, and they're, they're not going to be under pressure because putting people under pressure, that final 30 might cost you 50 or 60,000 to borrow that final 30, at which point 
you know, the original loan was, okay, and you're going to repay me this. Well, that final bit that you had to borrow from elsewhere completely scuppers all the profits, all the figures and everything. And what you really want to say is, look, I don't want to go down that route because that's going to upset everyone and we're all going to lose out. Indeed. So it, it's, yeah, those, those things there, folks, if you are lending money, just think, okay, can I do without this money for two years? I know they say it's only a year. Can I do without it for two years? And I know they say it's only 50, but if they needed another 20, could I do that as well? So they're the sort of things that I'd, I'd be saying to people, just think about, you know, you don't want to take everyone's last penny. No, indeed. Well, on that bombshell. Uh... <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, but hey, I was going to say, Ray, look, these things do work. These things do work. Um, and even some ones that I've heard recently that have been just problematic from day one, um, they've actually still come out where uh, neither party has lost money and it's yeah. all been settled. They didn't yeah. make as much as they hoped, but they've still got through it. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that's all you're trying to do. The world, you know, it keeps turning and these things keep working. Um, and it may well be that the second time around, all those problems, you iron out and you go again. That's it. Crazy thing. Hey. All right. Time, time to wind up the podcast. Thank you very much, uh, everyone, for listening. And uh, I've been Ray McLennan. <laughs> you nearly forgot again, didn't you? Uh, and I'm still Nigel T-Best. Uh, Ray, thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Keep listening. Keep reviewing us. And we'll see you again very soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the How to Raise Money podcast. It's made for people who want to raise money as debt or investment equity for their business or property proposal or empire. The website has all the useful links and underlying research, and you can get downloads of the checklists and other useful information. See you next time, where we can show you how to raise money. There is abundance. There is money enough for everyone on the planet. The question is, who has yours?